Welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast, headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhart. Okay, Gabby, I have a question for you right off the bat. It is summer. People have been recreating like crazy over these last few months. Have you ever gone fishing in New Mexico? Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, my husband enjoys fly fishing. I am not a fly fisher woman by any means. It looks complicated. It seems very complicated. I appreciate the art of making your own flies and all of those things, which he was taught when he was younger. But anyways, yes. Recently, my daughter also went fishing, caught a fish. Nice. She really was interested in like touching it. And I thought, oh, all right. Yeah. So that was cool. But yeah, there's a lot of great places to fish in New Mexico. What about you? I've never been. My dad has always talked about fly fishing. I think it was a hobby he used to do before I was born probably. And uh, once, once he got working and taking care of the kids, he sort of backed off from it. But he's always encouraged me to go. I've never been myself, but obviously I think to your point, my, my barber, Shout out to Joel. He always does a lot of great fly fishing out there. Oh, um, man. He, so he shares some really cool pictures too. Beautiful fish. We got to get you out there. Yeah. Well, this week's discussion is central to the rivers and streams across New Mexico and specifically access to those rivers and streams. This has also been the focus of a recent Supreme Court ruling here in the state. And it's been central to a lot of controversy is what it seems. Yeah. Anyone from private landowners to the New Mexico sportsmen and women, anglers, hunters, conservationists, access to public lands and waters is definitely a topic that lawmakers and state agencies are very familiar with in our state. Access to public rivers and streams is not a new right that New Mexicans have, but it is one at the forefront of the news today partly because of a court challenge and eventual decision. So we mentioned the state Supreme Court, New Mexico's Supreme Court. They made this decision in September of 2022, reaffirming that New Mexicans have a constitutional right to walk or wade on the stream beds of public waters that flow over privately owned lands for fishing and recreation. So it may sound like a simple thing, but there are some controversial complexities beyond the surface here. And with us to talk about all of it is Jesse Dubell. He's the executive director of the New Mexico Wildlife Federation. It's a nonprofit that's been around since 1914, advocating for wildlife management and access to public lands. Jesse, thanks for being here. No, thank you both for having me. I'm, I'm super privileged to be able to have this conversation and share some of the updates and information with your listeners. And for the two of you, I would strongly encourage you to reach out to me afterwards so we can set you up with uh, one of my board members who's actually a fly fishing guide yeah. on the San Juan. She owns a company called WOW, W-O-W. Her last name is Weezer. Her company's Weezer on the Water. And uh, she especially um, focuses a lot on helping new women anglers into mm. the sport of fly fishing. So uh, yeah, both of you certainly deserve the opportunity to get out and explore some of New Mexico's treasures like the San Juan River. Interesting. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Well, your bio says that you ha you grew up in the village of La Puebla near Española. You harvested your first elk with a bow and arrow in the Gila wilderness at age 15. Very impressive. Tell us a little bit more about your background here in New Mexico and what led to your current role with the Wildlife Federation. Well, that's a great question. I am born and raised in New Mexico, a lifelong New Mexican. I love this state dearly. And one of the things I love the most about it is the abundance of public lands that we have, public lands and waters. 
you know, nearly 50% of New Mexico is public, meaning you can go in the Gila Wilderness or the Santa Fe National Forest. You can go to Fenton Lake. You can go to Eagle Nest. You can go all over the state to hunt and hike and fish and recreate and bird watch and mountain bike and rock climb and any number of, of different activities. For many years of my life, I took that for granted. It was just something that existed and that I thought would always be here and would always be here for future generations. And as I kind of became an adult, I, I came to the realization that these places are certainly special and they deserve special protections. And, and we need to ensure that they're well taken care of so that our kids and their kids will have the same type of opportunities that we have. And so back in, oh gosh, 20 years ago or so, I, I founded an organization called the United Bowhunters of New Mexico. I'm a passionate bowhunter. And getting involved in that organization, which was a 501c4, meaning we were politically active, we did a lot of work at the state legislature, I started to learn about the political influences that affect our publicly owned natural resources. And I use that term publicly owned natural resources because a lot of folks will refer to our national forests or lands that are managed by the Bureau of Land Management or BLM as federal lands. And I'm really working hard to change the thinking around that because they're not federal lands, they're our lands. You own them, I own them. When I go to Sandia Peak, I stand there and look around at the mountain and think to myself, this is mine. I own this, I own this mountain. And we've tasked the United States Forest Service to manage it for us. So they're just, they're a management agency. And that's an important distinction, I think, because we're not visiting someone else's property. It's ours and we need to take care of it. Just like we take care of our own homes, for example. So I got involved in advocacy work and the New Mexico Wildlife Federation, as you mentioned, is the oldest and largest organization representing the interests of hunters and anglers and public lands and public waters across the state. Interestingly, as we get into the stream access discussion, we'll probably learn a little bit more about what motivated me to get into this issue in particular, but it was my love of the outdoors that ultimately caused me to follow this career path. And so from what we understand, the right to access public rivers and streams, even through private land, it, it isn't out of thin air. Uh, but part of the reason we're talking about this today is because it wasn't really being enforced for years, the rules related to this. And, and there were some mixed messages as well, it sounds like, around this topic. So can you bring us up to speed a little bit? Tell us what kinds of mixed messaging has there been about this access to waterways issue over the years. Yeah, certainly. So the New Mexico state constitution is very, very clear. In fact, article 16, section two states, the unappropriated water of every natural stream, perennial or torrential within the state of New Mexico is hereby declared to belong to the public and to be subject to appropriation for beneficial use in accordance with the laws of the state. So the state constitution has always said that the, the waters in the state are public. In 1945, there was a Supreme Court case similar to the one that, that we just had that affirmed, reaffirmed the public nature of the waters in the state. And the, the decision in 1945 was the same as this most recent decision. And that 1945 case was around the construction of the dam at Conscious Lake. When the dam was created, the lake formed. And much of the lake was over private land. And the private landowner said, well, the public can't go out on that water because that water's over my private land. They'd be trespassing. And that turned into a Supreme Court case. The Supreme Court ruled 
just as they did recently, that the water, in fact, does belong to the public and the public has a right to recreate in that public water. Interestingly, though, after the 1945 case, no enforcement actions occurred, nothing changed. And of course, if we think back to that time period, you didn't have Facebook, you didn't have Instagram, you didn't have the internet, you didn't have email, things were very, very different. And what likely was the case is that the public would fish and wade and raft in our public waters and everything was okay. Landowners understood it. There was handshake agreements. People knew each other. And over time, though, big properties started being purchased by wealthy individuals, many of whom don't even reside in New Mexico. There's a lot of very large landowners who don't live in New Mexico. Those landowners started putting up fences, obstructions, signs. And it wasn't like it used to be in the good old days where you'd walk to the neighbor's house, knock on the door and say, hey, can I have permission to go through your place? The dynamic became very different. And so for my entire lifetime, I'm 43, up until 2019, I believe, the Rules and Informations booklet that was published by the New Mexico Department of Game and Fish clearly stated that the public did not have a right to access water where it crossed private land, that doing so would be trespass. That was published in the regulations book, and I've actually had conversations with the now-retired Game Department employee who worked as a public information officer for the Department of Game and Fish in the 1980s when that individual received a phone call from a landowner who said, hey, there's people walking up the river across my land and the game and fish has a responsibility to publish in the rules book that that is not okay, that that's trespassing. That employee, without doing any research, without doing any investigation, without asking a superior for permission, thought, oh, wow, that that is a problem. That sounds like an issue. We better clarify that in the rules book. And so that individual took it upon himself, meaning no harm. You know, the argument from the person who called made sense, but they published in the rules book that that was criminal trespass, even though it wasn't. So it was interesting because we had, going back to your question about conflicting messages, state parks produced pamphlets that, you know, under Energy Minerals and Natural Resources Department that had boater and rafter guidelines. Those guidelines clearly stated that rafters and boaters had a right to travel down waterways even where they crossed private land. So we had the Department of Game and Fish putting out information that was in direct conflict with a different state agency's publication. Mm. And this has been the case for my entire lifetime. And I really would like to emphasize that anglers in New Mexico and across the country tend to be very respectful, law-abiding individuals. So when I get the Rules and Information book and I read it from the time I could read, you know, as a five-year-old or six-year-old or whatever the case was, When I read that that's criminal trespass, I assume that that's true. This is a state publication. So for my entire life, I did not recreate in public waters that I had a legal right to recreate in. And it wasn't until 2019 that I really became familiar with the situation and with the issue. And it was because of a paper written by a law student at the University of New Mexico who who wrote a paper about this issue, said, wow, this is an interesting issue. The Constitution says one thing. Department of Game and Fish has a rules book that says something completely different. And there had been a state, uh, a piece of legislation passed in the state that created a program that allowed the New Mexico State Game Commission to issue certificates that actually allowed landowners to block public access on the waterways. And so uh, this young attorney 
wrote this paper. The, the paper came to my attention, caught my interest, and I said, this really is an issue. And uh, from that point, and I'm sure we'll get more into it, but I, I can then talk about the series of steps that happened to get us from a realization of that issue to where we are today. Yeah. So you just mentioned that, yeah, landowners could basically apply and receive these certificates to post signs closing public access to waters that run through their property. You all challenged those regulations just to bring people up to speed a little bit and why, you know, this is still an issue today that we're talking about. You all challenged those regulations with your nonprofit. The U.S. Supreme Court declined to take up the issue. And then the New Mexico Supreme Court issues a decision saying, no, private landowners should not be allowed to do that. And the public does have a constitutional right to these waters. So tell us, what are some of the main reasons that private landowners do fence off waters on their land? So I'll answer that question in just a second, but I'd like to step just a little bit further back and say that the State Game Commission was formed as a result of the New Mexico Wildlife Federation. The New Mexico Wildlife Federation had a very significant role in the creation of the Game Commission because what we wanted to do is in, and I say we, this obviously happened well before I was born, but what the organization wanted to do was create some insulation between politics and wildlife management. Wildlife management should be based in science, not political leanings. So when this issue really came to our attention, in 2019, our new governor, Michelle Lujan Grisham, appointed a game commission of seven highly qualified individuals who I felt strongly would recognize the issues inherent with this non-navigable certificate rule, the fact that it was unconstitutional. So the Federation's work began by working with the New Mexico State Game Commission to change that rule. We were, we were wanting to eliminate that rule because of its conflict with the Constitution. And the chair of the State Game Commission at that time, Joanna Prukop, completely agreed. She said, well, this is a huge issue. The vice chair Jeremy Vesbach also agreed. He said, boy, yeah, we definitely need to address this. Immediately upon agreeing to take those, that issue on, the two commissioners were removed, not at the same time, but one was removed and then the other one carried on the work. And then the vice chair was removed from the commission because currently our state game commission allows for the governor to remove any commissioner at any time without cause. So those two commissioners were removed, and that's what prompted the New Mexico Wildlife Federation, the Adobe Whitewater Club, and the New Mexico chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers to file a lawsuit in the New Mexico State Supreme Court. I, I just want to be clear that, it, you know, we filed the suit against the state, the state Game Commission that we essentially had created. It was a very uncomfortable situation. It was not the way we like to do business. The New Mexico Wildlife Federation is not a litigious organization. We don't go into issues looking for lawsuits, we tried to remedy the situation administratively. And when we had no other choice because commissioners willing to take on the challenge were removed, that's when we filed a case in the New Mexico State Supreme Court. The court ruled unanimously after only 17 minutes of deliberation. It was a unanimous decision that the public has this right. Then three of the individuals who had the certificates. So when the court ruled, they deemed those certificates null and void. Those certificates are no good. But three of the individuals or two or three of the individuals who had the certificates petitioned the United States Supreme Court to overturn the decision by the state Supreme Court, essentially. And the U.S. Supreme Court said, no, this has been decided. We're not taking on the case. So to answer your question about fences and the fences still exist across many of our waterways, 
The three most impacted are probably the Rio Chama, the Pecos, and Burindo Creek down near Roswell. Fences serve a purpose, absolutely. And, and many times those fences are in place to either enclose or exclose cattle or other livestock. If a landowner has cattle in their property, I mean, they have a responsibility to keep those cattle contained to their private deeded land. And so fences certainly serve an important role there. And other landowners might not want livestock on their property, and we are a fence out state, so they would have fences to do that. So this issue is not about whether or not fences should be allowed to exist. The question to me comes down to two things. Does the fence eliminate public access? Does it stop the public from accessing the public water? If so, that's a huge problem. That's one issue. And the second issue is that there are numerous fences that are actually safety hazards, major safety hazards. They wouldn't necessarily block the public from, say, wading up a waterway. But I could show you examples of single strands of barbed wire strung across rivers where rapids are flowing at a high rate of flow to where if a, a kayaker, a canoeer, a rafter, a floater, a kid on a floating you know, inner tube was going down the waterway, I mean, that that literally could be a deadly obstacle. So there's a safety concern. And then there's the concern about mandatory public access. And it's very, very reasonable to understand that we can have fences that contain or exclude livestock and also allow safe passage for the public. That's not a, a super difficult task. There's a number of different solutions and other states have done it, uh, whether it's a gate, whether it's boater-friendly fencing that utilizes PVC pipes in the water. There's a lot of ways. There's a lot of strategies. And the New Mexico Wildlife Federation has on numerous occasions stated that if landowners have to have fences across waterways for one reason or another, like livestock, and they need to make adjustments or modifications to existing fences, they can contact the New Mexico Wildlife Federation and we will dispatch a team of qualified volunteers to completely reconstruct those fences so that they're safe and also effective for the landowner's needs. And we're happy to do that. Going back to the point that you had mentioned about the danger that some of these fences put out there, if maybe you can describe to us, you know, have you heard some of those stories of people being injured by getting carried into a fence or something like that? You know, I, luckily I, I don't, have any firsthand accounts of those type of injuries occurring. I know of countless stories of people not going on waterways for fear of those things, which is unfortunate because now you have members of the public not enjoying their constitutional right to recreate on our public waters because of public safety fears. But there are a lot of very experienced river guides throughout New Mexico, some volunteers and some professionals like some of the folks with Adobe Whitewater Club who will actually go in advance of a trip and mark with fluorescent flagging tape hazards and things like that. There are also digital mapping services like Onyx mapping systems where we'll mark the hazards on waterways and our digital devices like our cell phone so that we're aware of those obstacles. And as we're traveling down a waterway, we can plan ahead. So I, I would imagine injuries have certainly occurred. I'm not personally aware of those, but I am aware of all of the preventive, me preventative measures that have to go into planning a trip to ensure that it doesn't end in tragedy. How prevalent do you think that this issue of fencing off public waters to the public is in New Mexico? Like, are we talking dozens of spots or maybe just a handful? 
I'll give you one example. In 2020, I floated an 18-mile stretch of the Pecos River and crossed 17 fences. Wow. On one float trip, nearly one fence per mile. There are places where you can't cross. It's physically impossible to cross because of the type of construction of the fence. It's just not crossable. Those are obviously pretty frustrating. So it's very, very prevalent. Again, the three, probably the three most affected waters are the Rio Chama, the Pecos, and Berindo Creek, although the fencing issue is not limited to those three waterways. It's all across the state. You had mentioned a little bit earlier there are ways to address the fencing issue here. You'd mentioned some of the services there of the, the Wildlife Federation. But one argument we've heard come up from landowners say is, you know, they need these fences to keep cattle and livestock in. And if there is an opening, they could lose some of their cattle which is ultimately part of their responsibility and their livelihood. So with that, is that an easy solution to fix when you have a landowner who wants to keep their animals in, but there is that waterway and if you got to leave it open for everybody else, um, there's a potential they may get out there. That's a really great question. And I don't think you have to necessarily leave it open. Again, there's a number of different what are called boater friendly fences that will contain livestock while allowing the passage of a watercraft through the fence. But here's the other thing that's really interesting about the Supreme Court ruling is they were very clear that incidental trespass as necessary to enjoy your recreational activity is permitted. What that means is let's say there wasn't going to be an opening on the waterway itself. A landowner could easily put a walkthrough gate on the bank immediately adjacent to the waterway. A boater could get out of the water, portage their watercraft, gear, cooler, whatever they have with them through the walkthrough gate, re-enter the river on the other side. And that would be perfectly acceptable. It's a minor inconvenience for the, you know, the recreator, but that's okay. I mean, there's nothing that says a public recreator can't be, you know, slightly inconvenienced. It says we can't be blocked from public access. So if someone doesn't want an opening on the water itself, that's no problem. We can address that. We can find solutions for every single situation. The key though, is that we have to be solution oriented. What I feel like happens often in these conversations with landowners who, who simply don't want the public recreating in the water that crosses their private land is they come up with reason after reason after reason after reason that are simply not justified. We can, we can solve this. We just have to do it working together, which is one of the reasons I take every opportunity to remind the public how to behave responsibly. You know, if we're, if, if we're on a waterway that's crossing someone's private land, we need to be completely respectful of, of our presence there and ensure that we're leaving it better than we found it. Because you'll, one thing you'll hear every landowner complain about is trash. You know, the public shows up and they trash the place and they leave their worm containers and they leave their beer can or whatever it is. Leave the place nicer than you left it. <laughs> yeah, leave it better than you found it. If you see a piece of trash, whether it's yours or not, pick it up, you know. And this is another thing that the New Mexico Wildlife Federation has been very outspoken about. If landowners have area, sections of rivers or streams on their private property that need to be cleaned up, there's, maybe there's a habitat restoration project, maybe there's a trash cleanup, contact the New Mexico Wildlife Federation. We're gonna, we'll, we will go out there and take care of it. We'll send a team of people. It doesn't cost a penny. We want to build partnerships. And that's really when we can work together on this, landowners and public recreators, everybody wins because the public can actually be an extra set of eyes on the landscape for the landowner. I mean, if, if a landowner is running cattle 
and a public recreator sees something that should be brought to the landowner's attention, having that individual out there could actually be a benefit, not necessarily a drawback, but it requires partnership and it requires relationships. And the New Mexico Wildlife Federation is committed to doing everything we can to try to build those relationships and support our landowner partners and, and make it so that this situation works for everybody. The New Mexico Attorney General's office just this month said it is, quote, actively investigating allegations that several landowners continue to block access to rivers and streams in defiance of state law and that they're prepared to take action to make sure that New Mexicans can access these waters for fishing and recreation. That'll likely include, I'm assuming, a warning saying, you know, hey, landowner, please remove this barrier. But then if they don't, the AG's office can file lawsuits Do you see some of these problem spots having to be resolved in court? I do. Unfortunately, I do. I really want to commend Attorney General Torres and Deputy AG Grayson for their unbelievable commitment to taking care of and protecting the rights of the New Mexico public. That's it's phenomenal. And I appreciate them so much. And I think they're doing it right. They're making it very clear to landowners of what they can and can't do in hopes that everybody complies. But What we have sometimes with with some of these absentee landowners especially is very, very wealthy people who have for a long time in the state of New Mexico been able to operate based on their own set of rules. The rules that apply to everybody else don't necessarily apply to the wealthiest among us. And, And this attorney general is basically saying it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how much property you own. The Constitution is clear and we're going to enforce it. So I I do anticipate that probably some lawsuits are going to have to be filed. The fewer the number, the better. I hope it sends an example. I hope, you know, people quickly realize, okay, they're not messing around. This is serious. We're going to have to comply. And I truly hope that when my son is my age, that these conversations aren't going to have to be happening. Like it's, it's going to be a situation where we look back and say, wow, remember when everybody thought the sky was falling and the world was going to end because the public got to use the public rivers? Well, now look at it. It works perfectly. Landowners are happy. Agricultural producers, livestock producers are happy. Everybody's working together. We're just neighbors taking care of neighbors. That's the way that I envision the future of this issue shaping up long term. But I'm assuming, yeah, you kind of got to change the way of thinking if a lot of landowners, as we see it, even still, they know about this court ruling, but they don't really care to abide by it. That's right. And, and you know, what you have is so many years of lack of enforcement. You know, again, going back way before this ruling, even we're talking back to the 1945 Supreme Court case. When an individual landowner has invested a lot of money in adjusting their stream flows, creating particular ponds and pools and habitat to grow really huge fish, some of these landowners have actually installed automatic fish feeders on the banks that throw fish pellets into the water that create these super giant fish. And then they bring in their business affiliates, they bring in their clients, they bring in people to impress, they put them on the water. You know, they help them catch these giant artificially, you know, increased in size fish, if you will, based on all these fancy foods that they're introducing into the water to feed these fish. But now these clients or customers or coworkers or whatever they might be get to produce these huge fish and Instagram photos and so on and so forth. And now we're saying, well, wait a minute, it's not just your friends and customers who can go on that stretch of water. 
the local community nearby, you know, the, the local land grant, the nearby tribal youth, all of these people get to also use that waterway. You could imagine how that would be kind of a, a shock to the system that the landowner has been following or utilizing prior to this ruling. And, and I'm sympathetic to that. I understand that. I mean, it doesn't change the fact that this is our, our right, but I can see where landowners are very upset and resistant to this particular change. But I also think long-term, everyone's going to come to the realization that this, this can be a win-win and will be a win-win. So I know you've said publicly, quote, it's very frustrating that it took three local nonprofit organizations to file a lawsuit in the New Mexico Supreme Court against the State Game Commission to uphold the state constitution, which they take an oath to uphold when they become appointed to the commission. So where are politics, you feel like, coming into play here? It kind of sounds like money and private land ownership is part of this, but maybe where are politics coming into play here? And why do you think this has been so difficult to enforce for so long? Well, again, we're, we're dealing with people who have incredible wealth, people with a lot of resources. And it's not uncommon that folks with those kind of resources invest those resources to protect the things that really matter to them. And, and I have no doubt that with these private landowners, this stretch of river really matters to them. They love it. They care about it. They want to protect it. And they have some I'm sure legitimate concerns about what the future of the waterway might be when the public is allowed to have access to it. But the issue ultimately lies with the fact that our New Mexico State Game Commission is governed by a statute that allows commissioners currently to be removed at any time without cause. So if, and I'm speaking hypothetically here, but if you have a very wealthy landowner who's provided very significant contributions to, say, a governor, and game commissioners are making decisions that are not in the best interest of that particular landowner, then it's very possible that a governor could intervene and make adjustments to the commission such that decisions coming out of that commission would be more favorable to the people who have helped to get an individual elected. You know, again, I, I, I'm not trying to place accusations. I'm just trying to help listeners understand how come a system could exist for so long that is so against the best interest of the public, that's so against the residents of this state. Are you still getting calls from the public reporting closure signs and fences after this ruling? Nonstop. Uh, in fact, prior to the ruling, I really wasn't getting any calls because the public had kind of come to the understanding that we're not allowed there. That's not for us. That's for the wealthy few, not for the average New Mexican, so we can't go there. And then when the ruling came out and the ruling says, yeah, you can go there, but the obstacles remained, that's when the calls really started. And and that's what's been so frustrating. And, and if anybody wants to, you can go back to the August 7th hearing of the interim committee of the Water Natural Resources Committee. It's on webcast. It's recorded. You can watch my testimony verbatim. If you go to nmlegis.gov, go under webcast, look at the recordings. Again, it was August 7th up in Farmington, Water and Natural Resources. I talk about all this, but my concern is if someone calls me and says, hey, you know, I'm, I have a, a right. You filed a suit in the, state con in the state Supreme Court and they ruled that I have a right to go up the waterway, but there's a no trespassing sign mounted on a T post in the middle of the river saying absolutely no fishing, wading, walking past this point. 
Can I still go past that sign? Well, that puts me in a very uncomfortable situation because I know the law and I know what the Constitution says and I know what the Supreme Court says. So if I tell that person, absolutely, you can just disregard the sign. It's unlawful. It's unenforceable. It doesn't mean anything. Keep fishing. And an altercation occurs and somebody gets hurt or worse. That's on my conscience. I mean, someone called me for advice. And I, if I provided that advice, which I don't because I'm not an attorney and I don't provide legal advice. But if I did, imagine the, what I would have to live with if something negative happened as a result of information I was, I'm communicating. And so that's why it's so disappointing to me that we haven't seen true leadership from the state. We haven't seen leadership from the governor. We haven't seen leadership from the state game commission. We haven't seen leadership from law enforcement. Numerous altercations are occurring every week on our waterways right now where the public's being blocked out or stopped by signage or in many cases stopped at gunpoint. There are firearms involved in numerous altercations happening on New Mexico waters today. And when law enforcement shows up, the response consistently is telling the public recreator to find somewhere else to go. And when I've confronted law enforcement, and this also came out in the hearing that folks might want to listen to from August 7th, the director of the New Mexico Department of Game and Fish, Michael Sloan, says he does not have authority over landowners' private property, saying that fence is private property. We do not have authority to tell him to remove it. We can't tell him to take it down. I don't know what to say. I don't want to see anybody get hurt. So our officers are telling the person who's recreating, go home. And so what's happening is that law enforcement officers are not wanting to violate the rights of the landowner. And I get that. But in, in making that decision, they're violating the rights of the public recreator. So someone's losing every time. And historically, it's been the public. It's been the member of the public who's losing when these things occur. And so that's why I'm, I'm so refreshed that we have an attorney general willing to do what's right by the people of New Mexico. This reminds me so much of uh, going and reporting in front of schools. Sometimes we would have police or parents or principals at schools telling us we can't stand on the sidewalk out front of what is public property. And uh, that's just, it very much reminds me of it because in the end, uh, to your point, you have to make a decision about whether or not you can stand up for your rights and feel safe or whether or not you should just, you know, come back battles. another day. Yeah. You got to pick your battles and, and I get it. What you're saying, it, it, it's, it's hard. It's hard to want to pick that battle when you know the, the law is behind you, but also know that there are consequences out there that other people may put you at risk for exercising your legal rights. Yeah, the comment I get most often and sometimes it's phrased as a question, more often it's framed as a comment is, well, I'm just going to take wire cutters. I'm going to keep wire cutters. I got them in my fishing pack. I got them in my fishing vest. I got them in my raft. I've got them in my kayak. Wire cutters. If I see a fence, I'm cutting it because the landowner doesn't have a right for it to be there. That's an illegal obstruction. It's unlawful and it's dangerous and someone's going to get hurt and I'm going to save lives by cutting fences. I don't know that people are actually doing that. You know, I, I think many times, you know, things are said that aren't necessarily to be taken literally. I, I think people are just expressing frustration. I don't ever advise or recommend anybody damaging somebody else's property. That's not any kind of behavior that I would ever condone. I think that escalates the situation. And that's why I'm so, again, just relieved 
that we're now seeing some leadership from the state because I simply can't provide it as much as I would love to. I don't have the authority. I, I can't answer those questions. I can't necessarily comment when someone tells me they're going to cut fences. I'm not, I can't provide that type of guidance or advice. We need someone in a position of authority who can, and we now have that with Attorney General Raul Torres. Where do you see things going from here? There's still a lot of frustration. I think, as you asked before, I think there's probably going to have to be a couple of lawsuits filed. The claims or the, the requests that I've made for landowners to contact the New Mexico Wildlife Federation so we can help with river cleanup, so we can help with replacing dangerous fencing, all of those things. I've been making those requests for over three years now, and I've yet to have a single phone call or email from any landowner in the state of New Mexico asking for support in, in that regard. So there's a lot of frustration and New Mexico Wildlife Federation to a lot of people who are not happy about this stream access decision. We're still kind of the villain. We're still the enemy. We're the folks who brought this up and created this problem, so to speak, even though I would argue that the problem has existed since well before I was born. The problem is we have a constitution and we weren't following it. That's the problem. We have tried to solve that problem in my eyes, but but I recognize that the emotions are strong, but I think long-term tempers are going to calm. I think people are going to start to become a little bit more reasonable. I think landowners are going to realize that the public is not the enemy, that we're sure there's bad actors in every group. There's no question about that. But generally speaking, we're respectful. We want to be great stewards of the resource. We want to take care of the land and the water. We want to be helpful. We want to be meaningful partners. And so I think long-term, I'm going to start getting some phone calls from landowners who are going to say, hey, look, we're not happy about this, but it is what it is. And obviously we don't have a choice now because lawsuits are being filed. So we need to get in compliance. Can you help us? And when they do, uh, we will show up and we'll do everything possible to ensure that it's a very positive experience for, for those landowners and that the impact that the public has by recreating in those public waters will be managed in a really, in the most effective way possible. Is there anything else that you want people to know that we didn't ask you directly about? I guess the main thing here is that oftentimes the public, the general public, whether it's a hunter or an angler, we can be our own worst enemy. And how we behave and how we act and how we interact with other people is really, really important. So in addition to picking up the trash and those kinds of things, you know, I mean, there's there's a book I'm sure you've all heard about, Everything I Need to Know I've Learned in Kindergarten. But treat people the way you want to be treated, right? So you see a landowner, be respectful, recognize, you know, that that this could be an inconvenience that you're now fishing or boating on the water that crosses private land and, and be aware of that. Be super respectful, treat people with utmost respect, treat the land and the water with the utmost respect and, and really recognize that in New Mexico, water is such a limited resource. We have to take care of it. We have to appreciate it. And if we do those things, I, I think in the end, everybody's going to be better off. Landowners, public land, recreators, law enforcement, the entire gamut. Jesse Jubel, thank you. Thank you both for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Again, thank you to Jesse Dubell, the executive director of the New Mexico Wildlife Federation for uh, taking the time to explain this pretty complex issue here. A lot of history there I had not heard of. So this is kind of a fascinating topic that, you know, has come back up into the zeitgeist because of that ruling. 
Yeah, and we can link to the webcast that he mentioned in our show notes. That was a legislative hearing from August 7th. If you're interested in hearing more of the arguments and more of the details about this issue, we can also link to some of our own web coverage on the stream access issue that I'm assuming will continue to be in the news for a little while. Yeah, get down to the one-on-one level. And a lot of times uh, it is hard to make a case to somebody who is not used to a rule change. Thanks for joining us here this week. Uh, We'll be back again on Tuesday at 6 a.m. with a new episode. I'm at chris.mckee at krqe.com and also at chrismckeetv. And I'm gabrielle.burkhardt at krqe.com via email and gburknm on social media. Thanks for listening.